Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell West. It is uh, getting towards the end of the summer. Now, we don't get a very long summer in England. We're really quite grateful. It was mostly concentrated into about a week earlier. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we keep the, the we keep the sweaty bit short, and uh, we're back again. Uh, we're going to do the thing we do every August, so recently anyway, and do uh, thirty-one prompts from RPG a day. But first, we're going to talk about running other people's scenarios and the pitfalls and occasional pleasures of it. But first, Roger wanted to say something. Well, before we get on to that, uh, thank you to Glenn Lewis, who put some money in our tip jar. Uh, encourages us to keep doing this. And uh, if you would like to join this august company, uh, see the website. But basically, you you can drop some money to paypal.me slash rogerbw. Uh, send, send me a message as well, because they don't always tell me. And we'd also like to mention uh, something of a semi um, of a semi-commercial nature. We get sent notices by the nice people at the bundle of holding about what they're about to do. And this time uh, there are three we think we should probably draw to your attention. First off is a classic bit of nostalgia come uh, restart, uh, which is Metamorphosis Alpha. As far as I can make out, what they're uh, putting out at the moment is the reproduction of the first edition. Mm, it's, and, it's been scanned and cleaned up so that, for example, it's no longer in nine-point illegible and you don't actually see the back of page two through the front of page one and that sort of thing. Ah, <laughs> uh, the good old days. The good old days. Um, and uh, and all the stuff that went out with it, both new and old, um, uh, when that was kickstarted as a anniversary event. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I should say, James M. Ward, the original author, is still involved in it. He is still involved with this reissue, which is a nice thing to see. Yeah. It, it was a spiffy idea at the time. It's had various incarnations in the meantime. I would not myself uh, use the original system, but well, it's, certain... it, it's... It's a role-playing game from 1977, with all the good and bad that implies. For some people, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, yeah, all right. I'll try not to be a snob much. <laughs> But the uh, but but there's a whole wealth of it of imagination and riffs on the spoiler here, a basic plot that there is uh, uh, that there you're on a a disabled drifting generation starship and trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah, um, th- this is the thing that always threw me slightly because if if you look at the stories that deal with this sort of thing, I mean, like uh, Leinster's Proxima Centauri is probably the first, but Orphans of the Sky, right. Nonstop, Captive Universe, um, yeah. they're all about you are growing up in this tribe, you discover you're on a spaceship, and you do something about getting the spaceship to somewhere. Yeah. And that, can... that may have been the intention with this, but it, it has always felt to me when I've skimmed through the material that what it's about is what a proper role-playing game is about, which is bashing things in a dungeon. Yeah. Uh... Oh, only now, you, now, instead of keys, you have colour-coded wristbands. But uh, but the, uh, the thing is, you can only land the ship once. 
Yeah, and, uh, I mean, fair enough. It would be the end of the campaign, but I, it seemed well. We've talked about this before that campaigns of this era tended just to go on rather than yeah. have a defined end. So it's yeah. not. Uh, uh, there may be a way to make it into a sustainable, ongoing series, but people lose interest in wandering through space remarkably quickly. And um, well, you I, could I, always I, steal ideas from the Star Lost. I mean, nobody will ever admit to having watched it. So. I cannot, if I have, it has been erased horrendously from my memory. Well, mo- right. most of what people think they know about it is from Harlan Erson, who, who was uh, who, uh, had arguments with them. Yeah, all right. Was there somebody on the planet Harlan Erson didn't have arguments with? Probably, maybe. Um, uh, I, okay. Two, so two things what, I would like to say about yeah. this. Uh, one is the example of play in the rulebook has a PC instantly killed for daring to open a chest of drawers. That that yes. that is the example of play. That's that's what they want to happen in this game. Uh yeah, and and, and they haven't even invented the uh, uh, the paranoia instant clone replacement mechanism by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the other is this is very clearly ancestral to Gamma World, in which Ward also had a substantial hand. Uh, hmm. So that's the way to think. I mean, this is this is not about you know realistic mutations or anything like that. You get you got weird beasties because weird beasties are what we're here for. And talking plants, doubtless, and all the other good stuff that uh, large amounts of, of ionizing radiation does for a species. 0.3% higher seed survival rate. I win evolution. <laughs> <laughs> and then something comes along and eats you, which mm-hmm. happens to everybody. This is running until 6th of September. Okay, so we, uh, you, you don't have to rupture yourselves getting to the website. What's next? Uh, Delta Green. Uh, all right. So this is, well, this is a parallel thing because they've they've also got a Kickstarter going for the new twenty fifth anniversary edition because a lot of this stuff's been out of print for a while. Yeah. Um, and they are cleaning that up and, and uh, redoing it in, in a new version. I, as I understand it, the new edition is much prettier but has essentially the same adventures in it. For example, they're not writing. I, whole is, bunch it, of is, new it, ones. is is the is, but is the, it, the bundle of holding is for, is for the old edition. Well, hang on, hang on. This is not the old, old edition. This is the <laughs> current edition. The old, old edition, I don't know what they're doing on the Kickstarter. The old, old edition is the one from the, from the, from the 90s. Um, this is, uh, the, this is the, the, uh, the material for the Handler's Guide and the Agent's Handbook. Stories and, uh, and, and fictions. And a lot of scenarios yeah. um, for uh, and, and the handler's screen for the modern day version or current version of Delta Green. What they're doing on the uh, on the Kickstarter? Oh, uh, it's the new shiny twenty fifth anniversary edition, which is uh, it's a twenty fifth yeah. anniversary edition of the original book, though with the new rule system, and it, it's all a bit fiddly. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I've got the original. If, if, if you if you if you mind a lot about this sort of thing, you probably already know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I have, and I, I'm a Call of Cthulhu fan, as you know. Uh, yeah. The feeling I've always got from Delta Green is the ethos is very much the whole rough men. You know, we are the only people who really understand how bad it is. We can't be constrained by your petty civilian rules about lying and torture and murder and stuff. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that while there is an element of that in it. It's also pretty clear from the way the the, the 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 fiction and scenes from the world are written that the Delta Green uh, 
big cheeses are out of their tiny freaking minds. Or they're fighting the good fight in their own heads, mm-hmm. but they're also, they've also suffered all the terrible things that uh, they're going to impose on your characters now. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's if, not, if, if there's it's a setting not... less cheerful than mainline Call of Cthulhu, this may well be it. Yeah, um, in mainline Call of Cthulhu, at least you can you can believe that somewhere some of the authorities are not yet corrupted by um, the terrible truths of the universe. Yeah, they're just um, conventionally corrupt. That's much better. Con- you can work with that. Yeah, well, well, in, the, in this, in this, they have a, a nice overlay of correct, conventional. And barkingly insane uh, cosmic uh, corruption as well. Uh, by all means, uh, get, get hold of this. It's uh, it, it's a very usable version. And if your nerves will stand it and your players don't get too depressed, um, it is very playable. And even if, like me, you're, you're not enthused particularly about the Delta Green background, there are, there are plenty of material and scenarios you can hike out and use elsewhere. Yeah. Um uh, uh, the, the 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 level of doom and gloom is fa- is fairly high in this, but I'm I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to discourage you from uh, from going out and getting it. I'm going to encourage you. That's what I'm doing. So that's running to the twelfth of September. Okay, and finally, the latest offer is one we know very little about, but we felt we ought to mention because we know there are people who love it out there. This is uh, Shadowrun Sixth Edition stories. Which basically has the offers you the lots uh, of fiction, lots and lots, all the fiction they've got for the sixth world version of uh, Shadowrun, which I don't know anything about, and uh, plus uh, the core rules of sixth world. Yeah, so uh, so the, the basic uh, package gives you the beginner box, which is enough to get you started, and if you get the slightly higher priced version, which is the usual bundle of holding, price goes up as things go on. Uh, you get the full core rules, but there aren't any there aren't any gaming supplements in this. The other stuff is all is all fiction anthologies and novels. Um, so that uh, we we've not read and we've not reviewed the uh, the new edition, uh, mostly because Shadowrun isn't our thing. But um... it it has been. I haven't I haven't played it recently. I, pl- I played a reasonable bit back in the day. You know, for, all right, first edition Shadowrun, which, which, which was very broken, and I will readily admit this. But it, but uh, you know. I, I do feel it has. Honest, honestly, I I, fa- I found that 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 my my disbelief suspenders um, uh, broke uh, somewhere between the between between the net running and the pointy ears on the elves. The thing is, I mean, I can t- two it, one or the other, but not both. In in classic cyberpunk, there there is the standard problem, uh, which has been various games have tried to fix in various ways that you, yeah. you've got the netrunner and the stuff the netrunner does is basically not really happening in the same time frame as the stuff the rest of the party is doing yeah yeah the the, the actual setting up an intrusion like what like what you get in neuromancer is is a thing that takes days and then seconds yeah and um, that's and, and and it's the problem with the flash as well boom all I, the cool I'll take stuff your word for it. Uh, but in Shadowrun, you potentially have uh, that magnified because you you also you you get the guy who does the hacking, and you get the guy who does the spellcasting. And if you've got a magical threat, then the guy who does the spellcasting is the one who has to deal with it, and everybody else is sitting around while they're trying to defuse that. Yeah. So what what you need to do, and when it works well, um, you're getting those cool moments because you've got multiple problems. You need a multi-talented team because. You, you've got a situation which just a hacker or just a magician or just a guy with a big gun can't solve, but when they work together, they can. 
Mm. And, that, and that that can be superb. When it works badly, it's a dungeon bash, and in at least one published adventure for early Shadowrun, it is a literal dungeon bash. So, yeah. I, I, I also have problems with the Mr. Johnson syndrome. That they're, yeah, if, they're... if they always betray you, how come anybody ever agrees to work for them? Yeah. Um, why, why would anybody, uh, how anybody ever develops a reputation as a Shadowrunner is quite, easy, because you're either dead or impoverished at the end of every single... <laughs> I've been told that the fun is you then get to wreak your revenge on Mr. Mr. or Ms. Johnson, but I don't honestly see it myself. Yeah, the, the the classic template for the scenario, officially or otherwise, turned out to be you get hired for a mission, you do the mission, you get betrayed, you get your revenge, you recover your reputation. Which yeah. is fine occasionally, but it, it's it's like the agency campaign where the agency gets taken over by the bad guys. You don't do that every episode. No, quite. Anyway, Shadowrun can work. It just needs a bit of care because it has some specific problems that make make uh, make things tricky. And if and if you haven't, if you want the fiction or you haven't had a look at the, the new edition, I say new. I don't know how old it is. Um, then this is your opportunity, and that's running till thirteenth uh, of September. As you should know by now, and as all my gaming acquaintances know very well, a lazy person. This is one of the cardinal virtues of the system administrator. Laziness, hubris, <laughs> and impatience. Um, we, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not in that line of work. Uh, the point I was ma- about to make was that it is therefore a great temptation to me not to make up my own stuff and do the hard work but to take uh, sets of published um, adventures and string them together into something that looks like a particular personal narrative uh, for the players. And there are good parts to this and there are bad parts to this. I think we want to talk about the art of, of stringing together other people's stuff and a critical basis for what the good stuff is and <laughs> and how you can patch up the bad stuff um my uh, my it's only a very great uh, pity to me that the uh, the critical basis if we ever come out with one won't prevent you from having to buy the damn books first and then reading them and then discovering all the all the problems it's not obvious normally from the from the outside my current campaign that I am putting this into practice with is a RuneQuest Glorantha game based around the scenarios in the Games Master's screen pack, which are about becoming the new Thane of Apple Lane, or one of the players becoming the new Thane of Apple Lane, mm-hmm. and the material that's also been published, which is, again, mostly focused in the Kingdom of Sartar, in the uh, uh, the smoking ruin and other stories, and the uh, and the Pegasus Plateau and more stories there too, they are a di- work by a diverse bunch of hands, and it's not sticking together all that well. Mm. But I'm I'm so far I managed to make something of it, and I th- I think we can 
we can all all say that we've been there and we've done that if we've been a GM for any length of time. And let's see if there are any general lessons. What, what have you done that involved patching together other people's work or just using other people's work? Um, well, I, th- I think there are multiple levels of this. Uh, there yeah. is running the actual pre-written campaign. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there, there is taking somebody else's adventures and dropping them into your existing campaign, uh-huh, uh, which I've, I've certainly done a few times. Um, also, I mean, in theory, a, a pre-written adventure ought to be less work than writing your own. But the the further it is from what you actually want, and the more you have to integrate it into your campaign, the more work it yeah. can be, obviously. I, I've sometimes found that an idea, uh, a, a scenario seed, or whatever you want to call it, a paragraph of roughly what what's going on can be more useful to me than a full write-up because I don't have to strip off the stuff that is specific to the world that it was written for and then, yeah. then add my own back in. Uh, if if you know the old Traveller 76 patrons. Yes, it's a, yeah, and... Uh, for, for, oh, for, oh. Be, for people who don't, a quick summary, it, it's a paragraph or two of here is a situation. Uh, and then, then you have six alternatives presumably in case the players read the book, starting from everything is as it's presented to at, at the Mr. end. Mr. Johnson? It, 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 it's all complete rubbish. Um, it's not not at all as it appears. Everybody's out to get you, etc. And my, my favourite is the, you know, the, a woman comes up to the PCs and says, essentially, um, my, my brother is uh, be, being kept prisoner by a crime family because they don't want to testify against them. Yeah. And then the men in white coats turn up and take her away and say, sorry, sorry about the loony. Uh, and so, you know, step one is, yes, the, yes, this is basically as, as it appears. And step six is, yeah, the brother doesn't exist. There is a mental hospital of that name on the planet. Uh, you quite possibly do have a loony here. So, Actually, actually the, uh, there is, uh, I think the one I'd go for, uh, the brother doesn't exist. There is a mental hospital of that, of that name on the planet. And they have no patient of that name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, uh, but, but, but it gives you an idea of how you can mix and match the bits. Yes, and, and, and you that, can, that I love. Yes, and uh, and uh, that sort of generally uh, the, what they call what they call adventure seeds. Um, that's that's the deluxe version of the basic ad- adventure seed, two to three paragraphs, but. As I say, I'm a lazy person, and if I'm running something complex, something that I find complex, let's say, not everybody thinks the same thing is complex, mm. then I want stat blocks, and I want lots of work that's been done for me already. But the more work that has been done to develop the um, inhabitants and artifacts of the world, the more you're tied down to the way that the writer thinks things are going to turn out and what's going to be important. Yeah, I mean, for for some settings, the point of an adventure is that it is that setting's flavour, and that, yeah. that may be attached to a relatively basic plot. Um, so, it, I mean, I, I've... Let's see, in the Reign of Steel campaign, I borrowed a Warhammer 40k adventure, because the, this particular adventure was about dubious biological experimentation. One, one of the uh-huh. factions in Reign of Steel is into dubious biological experimentation. Um... And that worked, but but I had to strip off an awful lot of the Warhammer-specific stuff and, and replace it with Reign of Steelage, so effectively I was using it as an adventure seed rather than as a full adventure. Though, though yeah, you, were ta- you, were taking the, you were taking the bones and painting your own flesh on it. Yeah. 
you have to do that uh, in some ways. I think one of the things I found um, peculiar in uh, in using the uh, some of the written scenarios from Chaosium is the assumptions other people have about how things are going to turn out and mm. how players are going to react. I found in at least one case pages and pages of explanation of things I didn't think were very likely to happen and indeed didn't happen. The, the players got hooked in a way that they said uh, wasn't, which wasn't going to trigger the, 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 the pages of, uh, of, of material I never got to. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that the, uh, the scenario writers need to, um, need to trim down a bit sometimes to, uh, to, to include the paragraph about what to do if this happens, but to to go down the the main um, uh, go down the, the main route and show show people all the details on the main route things are going to take. Mm-hmm. There is uh, there is always going to be a flavour of uh, railroading in a published scenario in a scenario that isn't yours. I uh, that that you have to. Lay down a, ma- a main line of uh, I, I'm, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe it's just exploring this particular world that you, that, that you have to de- lay down a, ma- a main line and leave only the the basic outlines of um, of, of, of the of the side of the sidelines of the uh, of the branch lines and ways for them to get back onto the main track. Well, I'm running at the moment The Two-Headed Serpent, a Kelsey and published yeah. campaign for Folk Cthulhu, and that's working quite well. Two two things that seem relevant to this. One, they have boxes of playtest notes. You know, They, they will give you the, yeah. here's the situation and, and various things that might happen, and they, they will say things like, one of our playtest groups did this, and another group did that, and, he, and here, yeah. here is how the keepers in question resolved that. So it gives you an idea of you can go quite a long way outside the plan. Yeah. The other thing they do is uh, that the PCs start working off, start off working for a particular faction. Yeah. Uh, and there are various possibilities at various times for them to decide these guys are very dodgy. We will either work for one of these other factions or um, strike out freelance and, and try to destroy them all. Mm. And although it doesn't do an excellent job, it does a at least a moderately good job of saying, yeah, if you if the PCs are at this point working for faction T then they can hear about this chunk of the scenario by this means. That that kind of thing, which, which works quite well. Uh, one thing I'm finding um, in Glorantham, and it would apply to some other campaigns as well, is that it's on a very strict time tick on a one one adventure per per season, five seasons a year. And Well, that's from, uh, that's from Pendragon. That, that sort of yeah, idea, isn't uh, it? Yeah, they have they have merged a lot of Pendragon stuff in, and this puts restrictions on the amount of side time um, I can have. All these scenarios are pretty closely packed together geographically, hmm. but uh, travel isn't that easy in in the Glorantham universe, and you're going to be be taking time out when, according to the, uh, the campaign structure. You are supposed to be looking after your um, your duties 
in uh, in Apple Lane, amongst everything else that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm treating the player characters as um, a troubleshooting squad for the Queen of the Tribe. And uh, she's sending them off here, do this small favour for me, dears. Mm. And uh, showing them favour in other ways. At least I think she's being generous enough in that way. <laughs> so, so that's that. That's another difficulty. Time scale is that's another difficult. Two difficulties I want to raise. Time scale, first of all, being forced to role play to a schedule in the universe, um, and also, uh, and also the basic social setup of the campaign. Hmm. If it's a there's a slight mismatch between uh, the duties of being a petty noble and being uh, a squad of uh, of tr- troubleshooting adventurers who go out and face weird things. There isn't the social pressure to go out and explore strange and mysterious um, ruins, of which there are a lot in this part of the world and a lot in those campaign books. Mm. Um, if you if you've got other things you ought to be doing and peeling off the 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 one with the title from the ones uh, from the ones who are the, her servants and going out and doing is also a problem. I think I think that that, that having too specific a setup of um, of adventurers is not a good idea, but something too loose as well. Is also um, causes problems. Yeah, that that's something that I think can work quite well in Pendragon because um, you know the, the knights are the ultimate authority below the king. Yeah, and Arthur says that there there is a rumor of a giant in Cornwall. Go go and deal with it, or whatever. Yeah, but uh, but the, the knights the knights have have their wives at home to take care of all the petty little details like sheep and, and <laughs> whether the walls of the castle are falling in. I, 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 if I were rewriting that, I, I just know that there would be an, a sheep's attempt to die role. It, it, it is a sheep's greatest ambition in life. Yeah, uh, to, and to take the shepherd with him. Yeah, there is probably also a game of the wives hanging around at home uh, and complaining about about their husbands. And receiving and receiving letters, I I, I encourage our more uh, indie-minded get uh, listeners to uh, to write to write it. Look what I brought you home, dear! It's a dragon's head. Great. <sighs> what are we going to eat this winter? <laughs> and can I take off this chastity belt now? Uh, a, a side note, though, uh, organisation. Go on. Uh, the the bigger the adventure, the more the more important this is. I'm not going to be able to memorise an entire sixty-four page book. Uh, no, I, Roger, I, I you need shock to, me. I need. To, I, I'm not as young as I was. I need to be able to lay hands on things quickly. Um, the, the traditional approach was, was sticky tabs in various colours, though that yeah. never really worked well for me. These days, what I'm tending to do, given given that a thing arrives in PDF typically, yeah, uh, I'll print them out. Well, I'll strip off the images and print them out. Yeah. Uh, any images I actually want to show to players, I'll, I'll run out separately. This is a quite easy thing to do when a thing is, starts in PDF format. But strip off the images so that it's just quicker to uh, look at. Uh, mm. Disc bind them, uh, loose leaf binding in effect. Yeah, I've probably mentioned that before because I think it's great. And th- then I feel happy to scribble all over them. You know, cross references, uh, vital numbers, 
the you know this NPC stat is over there because you didn't bother to put that in the text. Um, also, because I just write on NPC hit points as they, as they go down. Um, there are PDF annotation tools, so you could do this entirely on the on the computer. But I haven't yet found one I liked, so I, I just do this on paper. Well, I, te- I I I like to have the the physical uh, hardback books, um, and one of the, one of these days, my my growing lack of space is going to force me to go PDF entirely. But I do find by then my eyesight may be so bad that I can't manage that anymore. Stripping out the uh, the images is one thing is a thing I do per scenario, and uh, in in advance of first using it. So that I can take out the maps and I can um, I can show them pictures of uh, of any NPCs I'm, I'm going to want want them to see and bringing them up as a shared screen on Zoom. Yeah. Oh, that that's a, a big argument I have with the two-headed serpent. In each chapter, they give they have a, a image of the various NPCs, but they're all jammed together. You can't crop out one and say you're seeing this guy, and not not yeah. that other one over there. I can see in future. Um, here, the, uh, a bit of futurology, that uh, that more games are going to be delivered as um, uh, as p- as, pad- as packages with all the all the handout and um, and uh, portrait and map information in a se- in separate uh, yeah. uh, files. Well, well uh, cr- Two-Headed Serpent does come with a handout book, but it's just the way they've chosen to do these NPC pictures. It is just one big picture, and they don't even have separate rectangles, so you can't just crop them out and use them. That is a pain in, in the backside, um, yeah. I, I, I will admit. There is one really nice thing about uh, PDF presentation, which is your typical uh, gaming company these days uh, is using... I, I don't know what the trendy software is for making PDFs over in the closed-source world that I don't go into... But what they typically have is the, the, the artist has drawn the map and, yeah. they, and they have scanned it and that gives them a bitmap. And within their mock-up software, they put the labels and things on. Hmm. And what that means is you can pull the bitmap out of the PDF and have a handy unlabeled map. I did not know this. <laughs> oh, I shall have to think. I, shall have, I may have to ask you to show me how to, how to do that at some stage. Absolutely. The... Uh, one of the one thing that did come with the um, uh, with or, or with all the handouts uh, uh, pre-separated was the bundle for the Dracula dossier, and I appreciated it very much. I um, I think I've mentioned before that one of the things they did for the people who went for the really high levels of uh, the Kickstarter uh, was make them physical uh, bundles of the documents pre-aged. Uh, they said loudly, <laughs> "We're never going to do that again." Uh, uh, I, I believe the new Master of Nailat Hotep has a similar um, se- separate books of handouts, uh, separate book of NPC portraits, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the way to do it. And now I come to think of it, uh, the Dracula dossier, dossier had, I think, all the NPC uh, portraits available as playing cards so that you could print them out and... Um, Show them to to the players. Be that mm. as it be that as it may, I think that brings us around to using complete rather than uh, using individual scenarios and pasting them together, uh, which is one art form. There is it's definitely an art in using somebody else's pre-created campaign. Mm. Well, at that point, you're working in their world, so you don't have to do the 
thing we were just talking about as yeah. scrubbing off that world and putting on your own. Yeah, well, well uh, you're, but you're also going to have to um, you're also going to have to individualize it for you and for your players. You're going to mm. have to find the things that make it work for your players. Now, Dracula Dossier is an improvisationally based um, uh, scenario campaign, uh, which is probably the most advanced uh, sort of uh, example of this sort sort of thing, where you're given a huge mass of material and said, here, out of this, make a game. So a and descendant, you... I guess, of the Armitage Files, which is similarly, here is, a, here is yeah. an inchoate mass of stuff with lots of clues for the PCs to it's pick a, up. It's, it's a direct direct descendant. I think I think there was one other game of this sort uh, after the Armitage Files, and I can't remember. I may be deluding myself even there. Uh, but then it went directly to, to the Dracula uh, dossier um, as a as as a vehicle for Knights Black Agents, mm. the uh, uh, that's different from taking something like Masters of Nalaratheteb or one of the big, long uh, pre-published campaigns and making that your own. It, it there is simultaneously more and less to do for an improvisational campaign because you're only looking a few steps ahead. Mm. Whereas a published campaign can set you up to do something, expecting you to get at a particular result at the end. And if you make a misstep early on, then you miss the entire point. I, speaking of Knights Black Ages, I took out uh, an entire quarter of um, of the Zelozny Quartet because my players... Um, Booby, uh, but my players destroyed one of the things they would need to complete the, the thing because they thought it was safer that way, and that they weren't wrong, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so Kim Philby's that's spoilers, Michael. So, so on the on, on the whole, you've got to get into your head the whole of the campaign from the beginning because you're. Juggling expect you're juggling punchlines, which won't happen for um, maybe uh, until after maybe a whole years of year of play. Hmm. There's a sh there's a story about how um, Professor Barker introduced a minor player character to his Thursday night group as a the body slave of one of the players who got left behind on an adventure, and and years later in real time. Uh, they met him again and discovered that he'd been an agent of the Petal Throne the whole time along, and they were just the means of delivering him to where him to where he was going to infiltrate. Hmm. Well, but but I'm not Professor Barker, and I cannot do that without written notes. He well, what, one thing I've heard is the shotgun approach to foreshadowing. You, know, you you foreshadow lots and lots and lots of things, like like any good soothsayer or fortune teller. And then yeah. but then when one of them happens, you say, "Aha! Look, I foreshadowed that." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but the players, uh, uh, you do too much of that, and uh, the players are going to start investigating, and they're going to start insisting that there must be a pattern behind this somewhere. Um, <laughs> and you're making a pattern. Work, uh, and you're making uh, a work for yourself. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and then there are the things that you introduce as foreshadowing, and you never get around to. Okay, yeah. did you have something you wanted to say? Well, I, yeah, I um, an another example of this uh, was Torg. Uh, early 90s game, came with a lot yeah. of pre-written adventures. We, we talked about it a little before, uh, so I won't go into detail, 
But the the end result of my doing that was that the adventures were so frustrating and broken that I ended up putting more work into making them runnable than I would have had to make it in writing my own, which was not yeah. not the point of running a campaign with pre-written adventures in the first place. Um, the t- two particular things. One, Torg has some very specific rules about how the weird stuff works. Yeah, yeah. What you can do and where you can do it. And the adventures just casually ignore this whenever it's convenient. Now, yeah. whether that means they didn't didn't brief the freelancers well enough, or they didn't edit well enough, or whatever, it, it, the point is, it, it it's removing uh, the thing that makes the setting distinctive and saying, right, well, this is just a generic mash em up now. the The other thing was, it, it it's very linear a lot of the time. I mean, yes, it's an early nineties yeah. game. That was a thing that happened. Uh, I what I found was there, there was lots of stuff for getting the PCs back on track if they miss a clue. Which is fair enough, but the very little about what to do if they are if they are slightly cleverer than the adventurer assumes. I mean, there was one thing where if if you do not take this particular relic from a museum, per the adventure I strictly written, you just can't get past a particular obstacle because you have to have that relic, and there's no nothing to say you should remove it from the museum where it's relatively safe and take it with you. Um, there was one where they'd. The, the the Orient Express adventure for Torg came before Horror on the Orient Express for for Call of Duty, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, they they have a clue that a particular thing could be got by going on the Orient Express and bashing somebody, and mm. their 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 assumption was we've just recovered this other thing and we think it might well be a trap. So what we will do that is is leave this in an extremely safe place, buy a fake chalice, and take that with us so that if it is a trap. Whatever happens, we, we we don't get any worse off except for the actual dying bit, you know. <laughs> so somebody else can then can then come along and save the world with a chalice. At least it won't be in the hands of the bad guys. Uh, the, the malice of the palace and the chalice. And and this is this is the sort of thing that the authors just didn't think of. So, well, I yeah, I found uh, I found I found problems um, when my when scenarios happened to me last night. When scenarios do things that, uh, that that I've been t- telling the players that the game system and the game world doesn't allow, like mm. temporary one-off um, magical items, don't appear to be a thing in the new RuneQuest Glorantha. But there is a, uh, a scroll which you burn and it triggers a rune spell, and uh, and none of us could figure out how it had been done. Yeah, and how much uh, the seller was going to uh, ask for it. If you're going to... It's the little niggling details that have been missed, and you don't notice them until you're in the middle of running it. Mm. Details like this um, uh, this character over here has a specific price for the things that uh, they are selling at the market, and and a specific rumour if you, if you treat them right. This uh, person over here has, has a has no specific price and still has the specific rumor, which would really be really useful for you if you <laughs> could figure out that she might. Uh, yeah, it, 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 and I, I I spent a lot of time leafing through the, the the rule book, going, well, what's a, what's a reasonable price in a Bronze Age um, a civilization <laughs> for a random pile of badly scrawled maps, one of which is actually valuable. <laughs> and, and and how do I factor in the fact that the uh, that the person there is uh, uh, is desperate for money and uh, yeah, 
that was that was a whole pile of, of missed clues and missed opportunities. That whole scene. Well, and... also logic problems. Um, Two-headed yeah. two serpent again. Uh, with, without getting too spoilery, there there is a point at which you you may well find that what we have here is is, is a um, mythos-related n- nuclear weapon equivalent, and it's going okay. to go bang in twenty-four hours. Yeah. Now, what the adventure wants you to do is say, right, well, well, we will hasten to find out what's going on and and solve that b- before the before the deadline. What my players quite reasonably wanted to do is say, okay. What, why why doesn't somebody get into a truck and heroically drive it as far away from these camps full of evacuees into into the um, wilderness into the as, as far as they can? I mean, all right, we don't have another plane to fly it away on, but could we at least do that? And that that sort of thing. And and the the scenario simply assumes that no, this is the spot where it's going to go yeah, off. Yeah. And um, and yet is... and yet I I I, I solved that on the fly by saying, well, no, it's a bit delicate. If we try to move it, it might accelerate things. But the scenario assumes that somebody will move it later, safely. Huh. <laughs> so I don't yes, know quite yes, what the plan but when, was. Uh, and, when, and when those words came out of your mouth, uh, did you think, oh, hell, I've got to move it later on, immediately after you'd said it? More or less. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've got a working fix, but yeah, they're, 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 I'm, I'm enjoying the two-headed serpent, but there are things where it could really use... Either a bit more word count, or or a bit of more sideways thinking than their playtest groups were able to provide. Yeah, I I, I think there is a whole art which I'm not uh, uh, exercising. I'm not sure I know how to define, other than just read it really intensely. To going through a published scenario or campaign and marking up the bits that are going to be trouble, noticing mm. the emissions. Noticing the uh, the um, failures of of logic, noticing the moments at which you think, well, I wouldn't do it that way. Yeah, my players aren't <laughs> going to do it that way. I mean, the it's, the it's, closest it's I can come is to try to think like a player character. And any time an adventure says this will happen, try to think like a PC who doesn't want it to happen. Yeah, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Greg Greg Stolze. Uh, um, uh, oh, uh, hates the formation. This, uh, your, uh, when they do this, this will happen. Um, and uh, I, I can't remember. He's, he's ranting on his uh, uh, on his private podcast, Ludo Narrative Dissidents, about about that uh, primarily as a as an editing failure. But he hates he hates uh, and and it's it's you can't make that assumption. In many ways, I'm not saving myself work by using other people's materials. Mm. But I've started, and so I'll finish. <laughs> um, when I'm setting up something with a system, I can internalise more than I can with RuneQuest and improvise more easily with than I can with RuneQuest. Then I can make my own stuff up and make it consistent on the fly. Yeah, And that that is... Often less work, but uh, but I do want to do these these grand, detailed, weird um, things that other people's imaginations come up with. I, I would also say when you know a setting mm-hmm. internalized, you can easily say, well, if something like this happens, these factions will find out about it and they will react in that way, and that that complication will occur and that kind of thing. 
Or you can say, no, there isn't actually a central registry for all these documents. But you can have a look here and have a look here, have a look here. And, and thus, if you can imagine, if you can imagine the world, then you can improvise against the player's assumptions hmm. that they keep making, that it's more or less just like our, our world and they can use the skills that they've already got. Uh, to interact with it. I, I think the only sort of adventure that can really define everything, and even they don't do it completely, is, is something very constrained, uh, like, yeah. like your classic dungeon where, where you know, in some of them you would have the, the dreaded box text to read aloud to the players as they enter the room. Uh, well, a dungeon is, is a pre-railroaded thing by geography. Or yeah, maybe so I mean geometry. even then, I mean, the reason I still I play role playing games rather than computer RPGs, yeah, is in part because even in a setting like that, there's still room for the players to come up with something that the GM didn't think of, and yeah, and vice versa. So, the, it's, it's strange that it's a delight when I put up a problem for the players and they come up with a new way that I hadn't even thought about. But when uh, I've got this written scenario in front of me and I've read it through and then they come up with something I should have thought of when I was reading it through, I'm I'm furious. Maybe it's the fact that I paid good money for somebody else's ingenuity and they're letting me down. Also for me, there there is sometimes a slight moment of dread because I know how I want to fix this in an immediate sense. But I don't have the adventure quite sufficiently internalised to say, well, if I fix this, is it going to break something else that I haven't currently remembered? Yeah. There, there ought to be a checklist. And I'm, <laughs> I, 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 no, I, I'm talking about reading it through in the first place. There hmm. ought to be a checklist for each scene and each detail um, and the whole thing of uh, what's missing, what's assumed... And what's cool, and I really want to get to, and what's superfluous, and I can, and I really want to skip. Well, one thing that uh, I've seen in Trail of Cthulhu scenarios, yeah. because you've got this gumshoe system of you are going to get a clue. There is, yeah. there is the clue you're always going to get. Um, that that is laid out. The specific clue that the players will get from this scene is X. Yeah. And then, if they do these other things, then here are other ways it can go. But that—that—that that, that is the core cool thing that they will get that will let them move on, even if they're—if you know, they're trying to be minimalist about it. And if—and yeah. if they want to wallow a bit, here's this other fun stuff for them to do. And that—that's a system that works quite well. Well, their uh, their flowchart um, uh, layout of things is, in theory, very very cool, but actually, I found it a little constricting. Um, you need to be able to draw fresh um, pathways, uh, and you can. Nothing stopping you except mm. the the mental rigidity that having this plan in front of you uh, <laughs> tends to induce. At least in me. I see. Put it on paper, <laughs> I, yeah. and, and on, on a bit of paper you're prepared to scribble on. I, I find this very liberating. I, I I obviously don't want to do it to a published book because that would be that's wrong. Writing in books that's is not, wrong. I'm I'm a very you know nineteenth century and later sort of person. Before then, it was considered. I, I, I personally, <laughs> I have sworn the bodily an oath, and uh, <laughs> and within the grounds of that library, at least, I shall make no marks, nor shall I kindle any flames. But uh, but but, the, but the, this is this is the, why specifically I, I want the disposable things that I don't mind scribbling all over it, and that does help me. Hmm make a scenario more my own. Uh, here's one. Um, 
the scenario in the rulebook is, is the yeah. classic way of learning how the system is supposed to work for GM and for players. Yeah. Um, and what, one of the things I like about Watson Hall is because we often play a lot of different games, we're, we're often playing a game that no, nobody really knows yeah. well. And we'll try that out. Um, so I was, we've talked a bit about modern age, especially when it was in bundles yeah. and holding. There's a scenario in the back of that, um, which is basically you all go, you are all at a swanky party, yeah, and then bad guys take over and hold everybody hostage, yeah, for one of a bunch of reasons. Yeah, it's the old traveller style. The GM decides which of these things actually applies, but things it does not do. Why? Why are you specifically cooperating with each other as opposed to talking as opposed to the other party guests? What you know, do do you have a a halo over your head that says play a character? Uh, there there is no sort of party introduction. Uh, it, it it on the one hand it's saying yeah you can be anybody you like, and any PC the system supports. But on the mm-hmm. other hand it 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 doesn't say, and you specifically choose to work together because. Is that is that a a, a virtue or a, or an omission? I think it's an omission um, because yeah, what, one guy's a security guard and another guy's a uh, will will be billionaire in a couple of years when his stocks vest. Yeah. Why are the? I mean, yes, they're they're both at physically at the party. Incidentally, no map. Uh, uh. This this is the game that caused me to go looking for floor plans, which we talked about before. So yeah, I, I can yeah. find a floor plan of a swanky house and and drop a grid on it now. So that makes life much easier. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's very freeform. There there is you go to the party and you talk to people and there, there's a bit of foreboding. Um, the criminals pop out and say, right, you are now all hostages. Sit down on the floor. A bit later, a bad thing happens. I won't give spoilers. Um, and it, it is hoped that by then the PCs will have started doing stuff. Otherwise, it's quite bad for them. But there's, I think, particularly for a new to the system scenario, which is what this is clearly designed to be. I, I would like a bit more. If they do this, then it's that sort of role. Uh, if if they try this sort of thing, then they're going to have to use it. Uh, you know, this is the person they have to convince if they if they try to convince mm. somebody of something. That that kind of thing. I just like a bit more a bit more uh, structure to it. Yeah, I, I I have noticed there is a tendency of uh, back of the core book adventures. They have a tendency to be not quite compatible with what happened, what is published subsequently. <laughs> yeah, they have a tendency to produce uh, pilot episode. Yeah, it's the pilot episode when they haven't worked out what what they're. They're doing and and uh, the, the the rule changes which say the thing in the in the in the that scenario that happens that isn't actually possible mm-hmm. are in the pipeline when it gets published. But publishing <laughs> schedules require you to get the stuff out and uh, and get it uh, and get it published. And the cool idea you had um, back when you were setting things up is now no longer wanted on this voyage. And uh, and you you're, you're stuck with something that the players go. How did that happen? And they look at you with trust in their little eyes. Some <laughs> of them, anyway, and say, so I expect you to know uh, why, how, and why things happen in this world. Yeah, and, and the actual answer is after the um, original rulebook went to press, one of, one of our playtest groups for, for the for the adventure we're going to publish next said, "Hey, if that works, we can do this." And we went, 
Oh, oh that would that would be bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, one, uh, one last example for me, which I think I've mentioned in passing, is is the uh, Pathfinder real time conversion I've been doing. What is uh, all right? Pathfinder is is a D and D ish sort of it, it, game. It, it, it is for, for for strict legal purposes. It is not D and D. It is Yeah, it's it's what Paizo did when D and D three point five turned into D and D four, and they wanted to keep publishing their own stuff, basically. Yeah. So it, it specifically never mentions in the books that, that anything, and and it changes a bunch of words, but it is it is basically D and D three point five plus a bit. Yeah. And. I am currently running a a GURPS dungeon fantasy campaign, yeah. And I I'm basically being a translation layer for Pathfinder Adventures <laughs> into GURPS dungeon fantasy, which, which I'm I'm rather enjoying. It, it's stretching my my uh, GMing head in in a way that it does not normally get stretched. Um, and yeah, so, some of it makes very little sense, but some of it is just the conventions of of a dungeon fantasy game. So. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes I wish I, 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 I wish people would write down what um, their their conventions are, or at least could bring them to the front of their minds, <laughs> rather than just writing. But, but I probably do this myself. In fact, I know I do this myself. So I'm not, I'm not one to, um, uh, uh, one to, uh, to pose. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a summary of what I think you should do when you pick up other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. Read it through, annotate it for for omissions, contradictions, and assumptions. And anything you had to think about for more than a couple of seconds, write yeah. it down so you don't have to do that again. Note what. Uh, make a note what about what the players are going to ask for that isn't there, and try to see the whole thing. It's like that quote from the West Wing: "See the whole board, mm. even if it's only for a moment, and you're and you're fairly spaced out when you do it." Before you run something, see the whole thing in your head. This yep. is an advice of 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 perfection, but uh, and I, I'm not sure I can do it myself. But it's what you what it turns out that you need to do. Yes, I, I would absolutely agree. Um, it, it's very easy to say here here is a little immediate tactical solution to the to the problem that has just come up. But you need to be able to say, "Hang on, that that will interfere with something else that comes later, or may come later, mm. or would like we'd like to be able to come later." Yeah. So yeah. So I th- I think what it comes comes d- down to in the end is it, it's usually less work than making making up your own, but not not as not as much as you might like. <laughs> <laughs> also true. Onwards. It's August again, at least as we've been recording, and that means RPG a day. We weren't going to do this this year because it's got a little minimalist, but we we decided we liked minimalist. Yeah, the the prompts are just single words this time, which which has happened before, and and alternatives to single words where we don't know if we'll use any of the alternatives. But well, I didn't, but we'll see how we go. Uh, okay. RPG a minute, starting with scenario. A word which derives from a summary of a play, um, its plot, um, settings, and uh, characters. 
um, expanded to other art form, narrative art forms later on, and then turning in meaning to a hypothetical um, situation uh, sometime in the late 19th, early 20th century, <laughs> from the Italian. And I think I say, I refer the Honourable Gentleman to the uh, uh, answers I just gave. Yeah, I think I think this ties a lot back to the previous segment, though I would say from, from a narrative con- uh, perspective, especially if what you have is basically a functioning society where, where people do do other things apart from going out and bashing monsters, it is very satisfying for the players to be able to say, you know, consider an investigative game, uh, OK, that foe has been dealt with before the next foe comes along. Uh, hmm. And if you are trying to preserve a equivalent of a seasoned big bad who who is behind a bunch of things and is gradually discovered, then it can be quite hard to let get the PCs to let go of the very tenuous evidence they have pointing towards that. You can always humiliate them. Yeah. So, and, some and, some and, disconnections and, get very heavy-handed. You know, the mayor says don't look into this. It's just, it's just going to inspire PCs to go and look into it off the books, isn't it? Any PCs worth their salt. Okay, map. Maps are hard work. They are. Uh, bo- um, bo- both in reality and, and in game worlds, e- even if even for campaign cartography users. There is an assumption... Especially for campaign cartography <laughs> users. Uh, there is an assumption that if somebody's drawn a map, it's, uh, it, uh, the GM has drawn a map, it should be at least reasonably accurate. That is a thing yeah. you can subvert. Yeah, yeah I, I had recently to tell my players... No, the really nice maps I show you, they exist to allow your, you to, as players to understand where things are in relation to each other. They don't normally exist as artefacts in the world. <laughs> if they did, they'd look very different. Who draws a map saying where the treasure is and then lets it out of their possession? Who draws... Well, uh, the, the sort of people who want to leave it to their relatives or their very good friends. And I, I start to think, all right, you know, th- this this is a, a, a map to a cache hidden by the great wizard, whatever, and it, and it's authenticated as, as actually one of the maps he drew. Does that then become a medium of exchange? Because, you know, anybody could follow this map and fight the monsters and take the treasure, but obviously there's a risk of dying, and therefore it is not worth the full value of the treasure. But it can have oh. a, it can have a reliable value that is less than that. How many times can 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 uh, can, uh, can the chap in the pub in Parvis sell the same map uh, before he before it becomes you know no longer credible and other people are making better copies than he's got <laughs> annotated copies about the trouble they ran into. <laughs> What's next? Tactic. I I like. The the players come up with something cunning as a thing that happens in my game, or the characters yeah. come up with something cunning. I, I prefer it to be a real thing rather than a rules thing. You know, I, I I will I will keep this guy busy while you look for a good chance to strike. Yeah. Rather than we will both attack him and make him split his defense between us, which is you know the game mechanical thing that might 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 be the same in practice, but I prefer to talk in terms of what's happening in the world. The more detailed the, the 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 description or depiction of the world, the easier it is to talk about uh, about tactics. Hmm. Tactics are different from stunts. I was looking at the definition of stunt in uh, Exalted Third um, the other day because I like to keep up on mod- these modern developments, <laughs> and that basically seems to boil down to 
be able to talk fancy enough to the GM that they're really, really impressed. And we, and yeah. it, whilst that is true, I don't know that I want it to be included as part of the game system. There are a lot of games that have something along those lines of the player comes up with, an, with a reason why this particular thing should work in this particular situation. And this is fine if, you're, if your players are young and enthusiastic and competent with language. Uh, I, I am sometimes at least old and tired and uh, just want to, want to bash something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to have don't to care. do that as part of the game. I don't care. I just hit him in the groin. Is that a fancy name for it? <laughs> weapon. Weapon. Better killing through technology. A starship is a weapon, If you're, uh, even if you're on board it, if you're not afraid to point it at the other guy. <laughs> I, I think that I, a lot of RPGs have getting the better weapon as a goal, but what about, what about the weapon so horrible that nobody can be allowed to have it? Yeah, you can't do too many of those because you will find player characters who will find there's a perfectly good reason for them to use the uh, the the. I don't know. I would trust any player character with the abominable word out of out of the magician's nephew. <laughs> that's what it's called. The world, the, the world, the word that you speak it, and it kills everybody else in the world but you. I don't. You think certainly trust... shouldn't trust me with it. Yeah, I know. We're trying to get him treatment, folks. It's it's it's, but it's, there, a, it's there, a slow recovery. There, there is a, a uh, saint story in which somebody has devised the weapon that is so so horrible that even the British government can't be allowed to have it. I mean, that, that tells you how bad it is. Um, but because he this is a pulp story and he is a lone inventor, killing yeah. him will actually prevent the weapon. Whereas, I'm just thinking about the history of nuclear weapons. Yeah. Physicists across the world in the 1930s had had reached a consensus that, yeah, there is clearly a way to get a massive release of energy from this radi- radioactive material stuff, and yeah. we have some ideas about how it might work. So, you know, th- there is no one person, and there are probably no ten people you could murder to say there will be no nuclear weapons at that point. It was just, and- you know, it was just a development from the physics that already existed. What does it say about the human race? That they had conceived the possibility that they might ignite the atmosphere. They had worked out that it probably wasn't very likely, and then they went and did the test anyway. Uh, that probably wasn't very likely, as in by the time it actually they were getting to the point of doing the tests, it was pretty damn clear that this could not happen. Okay, and that that was Beth's solar phoenix idea, which. Well, related to it, and the the other thing, of course, is in in that same book. What one of the arguments against this this uh, new horrible weapon is that it, it makes war no fun anymore. And I can't yeah. help feeling projecting this backwards. You know, the, these are people who who just missed the Great War. But I, I picture the guys in the Great War saying these, these aeroplanes and poison gas they make war no fun anymore. And you know, fifty years earlier, the, the, these Gatling guns they make war no fun anymore, and so on. Back to you're using a pointy rock. That's not fair. The Pope. Forbade use of the crossbow, except against heretics and heathens. <laughs> at one point. All right, let's move on. We've got too much to say about weapons. Throne. Itchy sits the bum that sits upon a throne. Um, I was going to say I'm one of those strange people who wants to play the officer and the leader. And I, I apologise, Roger, if I was grumpy <laughs> when uh, when when you usurped me from my leadership of the werewolf pack. Uh, a few weeks. Oh, weeks I'm back. assuming you were in character, Grumpy. 
which is supposed to be. I, I, I was in character grumpy, but I was also really grumpy because I thought I had you with that Iojutsu duel. But that was um, a nice idea. Yeah, I thought it was going to work. Uh, I, I but, don't, but lots yeah. of but, but but most of people. I mean, I think you only did it because the the get the game system forces you to. If you get ahead ahead of your leader, you should be the leader. Of the well, the, yeah. The other thing I was, I was I was chatting with the GM after the game, and the requirements for a theurge, which is what my character is, to advance in rank, are way less onerous than than they are for the other classes. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling that a little. Even if I had dissed off the, those bloody pussies. I would uh, I would still not have en- had enough honour to uh, advance by the end of last week. It's very depressing. I, anyway. I, I don't do a lot with rulers in general. I mean, as, as we were saying earlier with with your RuneQuest game, I tend to feel that the ruler is probably not the person getting getting into the immediate personal hazard. That is what RPGs tend to be about. Though yeah. obviously, Pendragon, you know, you you've got your own domain. So yeah, uh, flavour. Yeah, each game setting has a flavour. I'm not convinced it has the same flavour for my players as it does for me. Um, but each one has its own feel and its own thing that it's about. I think which the is games... why I'm so obsessed with Techimel, for one thing. Mm. I think the games I've enjoyed most have had an emergent flavour, which was informed in part by what the game said, but also in part by what the players did and what the GM did with what the game yeah. said. Um, similarly, the games that I've found funniest have not been the games that had humour in them. They, they were games that allowed humorous things to arise because of, for example, vast power disparities. Yeah. Small. Small. I've never wanted to play a rabbit. <laughs> or, a, or a mouse, for that matter. I, I mean, a duck... Is about as small as I feel like going. Even hobbits, you know, I have. Um, uh, and request dogs are, are pretty chunky. Yeah, yeah, and um, and they get they will stab you in your, in the knees with your, those short swords. Well, that's just on general principles. I was thinking it's it, it's easier to make a personal story relevant if it's not contrasted against huge stakes. I mean, can our hero save the world and tell his potential girlfriend that he gulp kind of likes her? It becomes pathetic. Hmm. But small local adventures can still mean, you know, maybe somebody's life is getting ruined because of the street gang that's demanding protection money from his shop, that kind of thing. Even if the campaign get big, gets big later, I think it's nice to start small, where, you know, just a little thing is a, is a major opposition. Scale and scope um, um, are, 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 are terms that uh, Ken Height, I think, used. For it. But on the other hand, your example of protecting the small shopkeeper from the street gangs, it, it has it has heroic scale in it already. It has um, it, it has the basic ins- um, basic issues of, of justice and how much we put up with mm. the suffering of the world before we strike back. That's all there. It's it's on a small stage, but it's a huge thing. Yeah. Stream, I'm. Not really quite sure what what anything might be intended here. But I, I was thinking of a flow that proceeds independently of the people and what people are trying to do. So a, a pressure, an environmental factor. Uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. the um, well, we'll we'll come back to this later. But some some sort of the world is, the, the the area is getting hotter, and you've got to find somewhere else to live, or that kind of thing. Perhaps a uh, uh, a campaign set on. Uh... 
series of meandering rivers um, where the players never get very far for the banks and they come to uh, come to the riverside towns and uh, wander through and see things perhaps they're on the way to some mystical journey to the they, they are perhaps they're dead and they're trying to get to the ocean of eternity uh, yeah it's much better ah okay medium um Mediums have a hard life, and the GM who has a medium in his group has a hard life, because there are spirits about, and the ghosts of the dead, and you have to find things for the medium to do. Yeah, in the in the World War Two game, one one of the original players uh, wanted to play a medium, and and suddenly I had I had to determine exactly how spirits of the dead worked in this setting, which I hadn't previously been particularly thinking about. But you know, mediums and table wrapping and all that stuff—they're all over the late nineteenth and early twentieth century, where I like to run games. Yeah, I try to put in just enough genuine ones that the players can't assume they're all frauds, and vice versa. Yeah, have you have you you've read the 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 land of mist or last the Professor Challenger? Uh, I don't believe I have. Oh, it's the one in which uh, Conan Doyle uh, indulges the, himself. Uh, now, has the the skeptic Professor Challenger discover there really are there is life after death and such things as people. And spiritualism is real, mm-hmm. and uh, that was Doyle's uh, position at the end of his life. Sure, and, and though, it, though many, many mediums and other people gathered in the Royal Albert Hall on a set date after his death to try to receive a message from him, and they didn't do it, or maybe they did and didn't want to tell anybody. It's terrible here. Don't come. <laughs> um, or it's very nice here, but we're a little full. Trust. We were talking about this earlier with Shadowrun. You can subvert trust, but you should do it with care because if it happens every time, it won't happen. The, the PCs won't trust anybody. Yeah, and and if uh, you've got to have a certain amount of trust to get things going, and that's true between GMs and players. I've not adopted any of the formal means of people uh, objecting to material, but perhaps I should. The X card and things like. Like I have every intention of X-carding when I when I play with strangers again when when game conventions happen again. Well, oh well, roll on the day. Wilderness, Wilderness. which is it's always welcome for me. It's mm-hmm. it's a place that is away from where you can easily call for help, even if there is help that could be called. But but you are aware that there is civilization out there in the distance, and you can go back to it. It's that transition of of, of area. Yeah, um, I I don't know if we get true wilderness in this country. I mean, I've had not really. Of, I've had moments of panic in dark woods and uh, and high mountains, but I don't think um, wilderness in the American sense is not a thing we get. Well, have, have a definition. I mean, there, there there is a thing called the Great Outdoors Challenge, where you basically start from one side of Scotland and walk across to the other side. Uh, carrying your own tent and whatever else with you. I'm not going to do it. I wasn't going to do it ever, <laughs> but at my age, definitely, I'm not going to do it. And on the one hand, you will probably have a cell phone signal most of the time. On the other hand, it still may take several hours for somebody to get to you. Yeah, don't break your leg. Don't break anything, let's be frank. Mm-hmm. Think. Think. This is what I'm here for. Solve the problem by cunning rather than by force is 
maybe this we should have said this in British role playing a few episodes back, but that that, yeah. that is core to the way I like to do things, whatever character I'm playing. Yeah, I'm thinking. I think about what you're writing when you're writing a scenario. Don't just pour out the stuff, but but think about what everything implies when you're when you're creating in somebody else in, in somebody else's world, even God's, uh, or in your own. You've got to think about implications and. You never only say one thing. Mm. You only um, uh, you 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 can only say many many things, and how many levels you pursue is uh, <laughs> for you. Mm. Flood the first apocalypse, the f- and therefore and therefore I wonder if you could set a scenario um, in which you are one of the several families who have been advised by their deities. To get uh, to build themselves really big ships and load uh, load in some biodiversity. Um, <laughs> no more water, fire next time. Natural disasters, I, I I like as background to any sort of story. You know, take an existing adventure. You you've got to do the heist, but the waters are rising, or the volcano is erupting, or the reactor is melted down. You bring yeah, in a, yeah. an environmental hazard, and of course the people who are consequent on that environmental hazard. Both the people trying to fix it and the looters and other obstructions. It, it's it's a lovely way of getting extra complication. Safety. safety. PCs tend to seek safety. This ties back a little yeah. to trust. You you can subvert that and have have the bad guy strike at their friends or their home or whatever. But again, what what I try to work against is the smooth PC with no hooks that the GM can catch on, because hooks are vulnerabilities. I, I yeah. want PCs to have hooks and trust me to not screw them over with them. I think uh, you want the players to feel safe. You want the characters to feel threatened. Mm. Turtling, going and um, going and finding a nice safe place and drawing in, uh, yourself into your own shell is often the sensible thing to do, but in dangerous situations, and you've got to to set it up so that that isn't the case. That they've got to go. The extra mile, or something dreadful will happen. It can be a moral challenge, like if you don't, if you don't come out, then somebody else will will die. Or it can be a practical challenge that I'm terribly sorry, but your safe place isn't safe any longer, and the waters are rising around you. Yeah, I, I would rather say, yeah, you can turtle, but then you won't do the thing you need to do because it has to be done somewhere else, as distinct from somebody will come in and get you. Supplement. Mm. Used to be the classic model of how, how you kept an RPG profitable. Um, m- yeah. My feeling is always supplements are great as long as, as long as you don't end up annoying your core players because you are defining things that they have already had to define and you're defining them differently. Yeah, um, there is. It's it's terrible when your campaign has outrun the. Uh, uh, Used up the, all the first edition and outrun, answered the questions already that your supplement goes for. The really annoying supplement is the first one because it <laughs> bungs in everything that they couldn't get into the core book and should have got into the core book, and uh, and probably emits some things that uh, when you buy it you'll probably find it emits some questions that you really wanted answered and you thought were going to be answered in it, but 
Mm. Oh, well. No, no, there is an art to writing of supplements to games, and it is not an easy one. Move. A journey can be an interesting thing, but every journey mm. can be the same. At which point a red line across the map is, an, is a good way of doing it. You know, a, a, unless we actually want to say somebody tries to steal your plane, or mm. you're having a sanity... Yeah, classic Call of Cthulhu campaigns, you've got a sanity-restoring cruise, which became a cliché. You know, you're, you're, yeah. go, you're going from the US to the UK, say, it's going to be a 10-day trip. Um, here, here, are, here are some step-back-a-bit mechanics for what you can do during that time. Yeah. Re- re- read the scary book, do some clay pigeon shooting to improve your skills, that kind of thing. The uh, It makes me think of the core it's-your-move mechanic, which is a very gamish thing, but um, and really shouldn't be compulsory in a role-playing game, but it is awfully convenient to make it a coherent description of what's going on. And making sure that each player gets their move, their thing that they do in this phase, if they're there. And I'm not entirely... How, how are you managing. spending this journey? Yeah. yeah. Well, hang on, I wasn't talking about journey, I was just talking about oh, okay. a, a round of combat. Um, mm, yeah, fair enough. It's your move, it's your thing, it's your thing to, it's your turn to do something, what you're going to do. And and timing is always horribly complicated. Um, GURPS officially doesn't have this, but it does. Well, everybody gets roughly the same number of actions. I, yeah. I, I've, I've played games in which that was quite variable. I mean, something like RuneQuest Strike Ranks can be, te- can be sophisticated almost beyond practicability. Hmm. Um, and, yeah. Trap. It's a trap! Sorry, we talked about it. mechanical traps uh, back in episode 99. Yeah. Um, what about social traps? So Gawain and the Green Knight, you take advantage of someone's sense of honour so that he gets into a situation where there is no way out. Yeah, it depends on your players being socially aware enough that they know when they're trapped. On the other hand, your players are also going to be playing characters who are mavericks and are willing to break out of the conventions and do the unthinkable mm-hmm. when they think it's appropriate, and actually that can be that can be really great moments of drama. Right. Well, I like actual physical writing with a fountain pen, uh, and as we we were discussing for pre-written adventures. But at the very least, take notes of everything. True that. Um, I am finding that for game management purposes, even if I'm doing everything online. Keeping a written journal or and putting uh, putting notes as the game happens into there, mm. um, even writing out um, scenarios if I'm writing it myself in longhand makes it, it's it's a the process I'm used to, and it works for me. It is not legible in the slightest, <laughs> and uh, and I don't I don't think I also find that uh, when I start. Thinking about writing projects, I'm I often I'm often full of energy and a burst of things I can do and put down right at the start, and it's a long slog of getting it completed. That is um, mm-hmm. that is the bugger. Theme. What is our theme in this campaign? Do we actually need one? Can we figure one out later? Well, again, I usually have some sort of vague guiding principle in mind. Like for the World War Two game, one of the things I wanted was to say, uh, 
humans who choose evil are worse than ravening monsters who simply are doing things that you regard as evil. Yeah. But I, I don't try to be heavy-handed, I don't try to enforce it, I just have that at the back of my mind when I'm setting up scenarios and dilemmas and whatever else. And as we said with flavour, I think, if it can emerge rather than be imposed, yeah, this is a good thing. I've uh, One of my current campaigns has a clear theme, and that's the one I'm writing myself, the, uh, the, the, the Banestorm game, which is about restoring the, uh, the, the, the Empire after a long period of corruption and misrule, mm-hmm. even worse than Megalos usually has. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about responsibility to higher powers and the law and justice and, um, and principles and all that sort of thing. I'm, uh, they're about to get involved in the middle of a slave revolt, and uh, <laughs> that's going to make that's going to test their uh, their their principles. Uh, Foundation. They're doing a new adaptation on Netflix. You know. Yes. <laughs> There's a universe I don't particularly want to get involved. Well, in. it's I, I just don't think it's a terribly interesting story. Uh, we, we've got better now, but hey, so, you're safely dead, so we don't have to pay anybody. Uh, I would say, who are you and what do you want? The, the PCs are X who do Y. Yeah. Uh, which uh, is also a place to point out that friend of the show, Agamogos, has uh, done a longer consideration of the TV series Bible Guide that we talked about a couple of episodes back, which is on, yeah. on the Sekele Lee forums. Simplicity. Everything should be as simple be... as possible, but no simpler. Yeah. What you uh, figure out what you need to do and know and get that on a sound basis, but simplicity is very, very hard in any art form. And saying something simply, we waffle on, goodness knows. <laughs> um, saying something simply and clearly is not easy. And finding a simple system which doesn't crush things that you want, flavour and theme and nice nice stuff uh, that's really very hard i've spoken maybe it's part, uh, partly my fault but i've spoke i've spoken against the very very sim- simple systems except as the occasional amusement um i want to step up from perfect simplicity it, it's nice i think it's nice to have some mechanical complexity to say this character is not quite like that character other than yeah. in their personality uh, substitute I think you want a reserve character in almost all circumstances. You want somebody you can play when your character is um, is out of it for reasons story-related or otherwise. That's not a thing that's really come up for me. But, uh... Well, it's, it's, it's sort of baked into uh, Blades in the Dark because it's assumed by that, that eventually you, you go off and you do these stressful uh, robberies and you need to go and calm down. And the way you do that is to indulge your vice. <laughs> and if you indulge your vice, sometimes you go off um, and and vanish for great lengths of time or uh, get yourself into deep trouble with the authorities or something. So you have to have a secondary character. <laughs> I'm, go- I'm probably going to have to give the, the Thane of Apple Lane a secondary character because she is... Um, uh, she she is uh, both highly responsible and a, a new mother. 
Memory. I've got one. Don't trust it. Mm. Uh, I know one player who helpfully tells us what, what happened in the previous session and often remembers things that we know perfectly well never happened. It's a genuine yeah. memory for him. It, it It is not consistent with external evidence, including our own memories, which is just... Yeah, yeah I, I have a player like that. He will get things just slightly wrong. But he's very useful because he knows he's got this fault and he writes down um, notes as he goes. And often he's our only source for remembering when our memories fail. <laughs> Translate. I still have a copy of the French role-playing game Polaris, which I think is your fault. I think you were you were being the uh, auctioneer that year. Aha! I'm, we are, the management is not responsible for the uh, customer's gullibility. On the other hand, several countries have got their own local editions of Call of Cthulhu, written by local authors who have basically put in a chapter on, you know, Cthulhu in Sweden or Cthulhu in Japan. Hmm. And the only way to get at those as a primarily English speaker is to get them translated. I, I would love this to happen. I, uh, uh, I, I think we should. I think I should probably mention the language problem um, in role-playing games and how it's very authentic and it's very much in line with the uh, the genre sources we take the games from. But on the whole, a universal language. Is uh, is a lot is a very easy and useful game assumption. Well, hey. I, I like to think of it as problems. Yeah, the problem mm. of you can't understand him. Yeah, is a thing that you will seek a solution for, but it's it's not an interesting thing to do multiple times. No, it's it's a bit like locks and picks and traps in that way. I um I, I got, saw a nice suggestion recently that perhaps trade talk, which is the um, which is the merchant language, which is the lingua franca of most of um, northern uh, northern Glorantha, and might have emerged from um, the, the Humanities battle language, si uh, sign language used in combat, mm -hmm. uh, which is a really nice idea. And I think the idea of having sign language as the universal trade language actually makes sense, and I shall try and mm. incorporate that in the future. Well. I seem to remember the thing they do in that specifically is say that this is a pigeon or creole or something of that sort. It, it's got elements from a bunch of languages, I th I and and, is, and it is very basic in its expressiveness. You, yeah, you, it's you, a you language don't, that you don't write a poem off. in it. It doesn't have subtleties. So it's a language that you can't develop beyond a certain percentage mm. uh, facility uh, uh, with it. Um, I think. Uh, my own mental model would probably make it more like more like a, a conlang, but a conlang done by a god. <laughs> welcome. So it's useful. Welcome, welcome to our table. Uh, please sit down. No, no, it uh, doesn't matter that you don't. Uh, you've never played this sort of thing before. We'll explain. Please, this is Graham, and this is Chris, and this is Jenny, and that's Hartley at the end of the table. And uh, and you, uh, what brought you in? Uh, no, please, you, uh, you don't need to pay. Uh, uh, this time uh, it's always free the first visit, and uh, and and please sit down. Yep, yeah, yes, we will take a, 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 some of your some of your crisps off you. And similarly, when I'm running games at conventions, I, I like running uh, games for strangers uh, because one of the things I can do there is say, yeah, you. you uh, well, I don't say obviously because I don't want to alert people, but 
many people think of GURPS as a very complicated system, and it certainly can be if you use all of it. Yeah. But what, what I like to be able to do is say, okay, here is a character. Here, here is the rules you need to know to play this scenario. Now let's play it. There, that wasn't yeah. so bad, was it? <laughs> Which is possibly not a, not a great thing to have to overcome, but it seems to work. Uh, theory. I'm reading at the moment uh, a book called The Elusive Shift um, by John Peterson, mm-hmm. uh, who also did, what was it called, Playing the World. Yeah, heard good things about uh, both. Uh, the, well, he's he's uh, talking about the uh, um, about how the idea of role playing games spread amongst the different communities of the war gamers and the science fiction fans and how they interacted with each other. And it's striking how early on people are talking theory about what this is, what it can be, what's the right way to do it, and and the the phrase. The sarcastically meant phrase, the one true way, is um, is emerges very early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and there's an awful lot of theory, not uh, about role playing games, some of it very highfalutin and, and some of it can get pretentious quite easily. Yeah, um, uh, but it, it, it's a craft. And as long as it's clear that it, uh, what we're theorizing about is better ways to do the craft of uh, of role playing then uh, i think i i think theory is, is is welcome we all need forms of structure to our brains but our brains are all the same where it is i think distinct from oh uh, you know improvised theater that sort of thing is it is specifically designed for the entertainment of the people involved not for an audience yeah. If if it does entertain an audience, that's great, but that's not what it's for. Unless you are critical role, yes. Yeah. Fraction. I got nothing here. How normal are PCs? How, what what fraction of people in the world are PC like people? Yeah. Are, are, yeah, are they the only people who can possibly deal with a thing, or are they? You know, hey, well, you're just another first level adventurer. Go to the first level adventurers guild. The it depends on the scale. Um, that they should be the only ones who can deal with the current situation. It makes a difference if uh, uh, to saying what fraction of the population have this gift, magic, mm-hmm. let's say, um, and how and how do the rest of the population feel about them? Are they envious? Are they afraid? What are? are do, do do they want to burn them? What are they? Is it good to be? It's not a good. It is not good to be too much alone. Mm. Speaking of which, solo. Yeah. Now, solo RPG is a term which many people understand, and they will understand in different ways. Mm. Uh, as far as I can see, a lot of the earlier ones tended to be uh, more like computer games, as in here, here is a randomly generated dungeon which you can bash your way through. Yeah. Um, but some more recent ones are more more interesting. Um, once got a lot of attention recently is Thousand Year Old Vampire, which is essentially a series of writing prompts. Yeah, it, it will oh. say, you know, this particular thing happens in 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 your long history. How do you react to it? How do you respond? Mm. Who who is the friend you make as a result of it? That kind of thing. So yeah, there, there's a lot more to it in recent years. Um, but and that too is distinct from one to one on one gaming, which is also sort of solo, but mm. 
but more but 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 two people are involved the the characters in those are i think i think because it's the obvious thing to do the characters in those are mostly loners and uh, and doing things on their own yeah i, I don't I, know that it logically has to be but when when we were doing that uh, Cthulhu Confidential scenario, my, my general feeling was I felt constrained in my role-playing because it was up to me to do the thing that would progress the scenario forward. Yeah, you are constrained, but opportunity as well. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. We should do it again sometime. System. Well, I, I keep... Yeah, go on. I, I like a game system to be consistent so that I can internalise it and rather than... Sl- having to look the thing up and just say, okay, this is the way this kind of thing typically happens. Mm. And therefore, yeah, it just carries on. I would uh, say, as I've said before, that you need a system that fits in your brain, that fits your brain. Mm. And it occurs to me that there could be a PhD for somebody to look at the... if, If there is any sort of person as a typical player of a particular system, but I suspect it's not something that's going to happen now, uh, anytime soon because most people play D and D, um, and <laughs> I, 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 I got, I've got the feeling though that people play D and D in very different ways. There, I, there I are... wonder. There, there's a thing I've heard about natural languages, which is languages as actually used tend to have about the same overall complexity. It's just in different places. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yes. One of them will have a very large vocabulary without much internal correlation. Another one will have a ferociously complex grammar. Another one will have a very complicated writing system and so on. And I wonder whether there is a similar thing in RPGs that the, the overall tolerance for complexity that people have may be quite similar, but they will put it in different places. And somebody running a story game doesn't think of it as complex because it's storytelling that doesn't have hard numbers in it. Yeah, I can't, I can't. I honestly can't say that I can see the range of complexity in um, in Rhesus, say, mm. or, or or Quest Worlds, as we must now call it, um, as, as being anywhere near as much as D and D or GURPS Fair. or what have you. Mention, my friend Hartley has got a mention in the elusive shift. <laughs> Uh, because he was uh, running, uh, he was amongst the people starting running a uh, a war game called Midgard, which he tells me is still going. Mm-hmm. When I showed him his, the reference to him, he says, oh yes, that's the chap who's written two books without interviewing anybody. So uh, <laughs> I want you to be, <laughs> I want you to be aware, Roger, that one of these days, we too shall feature in histories of role-playing games. Oh, uh... Uh, a very small this... footnote at the end of chapter 23. Spurious detail is your friend. The the casual thing that you mentioned because it seems fun will become a scenario seed down the line. Yeah. And, and the players will remember the spurious thing you said better than you did. And better than the important plot relevant thing. Yeah. And thank. Well, I've I've been doing this for, it must be getting on or pretty close to 40 years. I've never seriously considered not role-playing. I've always enjoyed it enough to keep doing yeah. it, but I have certainly become more enthusiastic because of the players, including GMs that I have met, so you know, thank you all of you. I should thank Dave Langford for that, that first um, that first experience. <laughs> um, 
I there are so many people I should have thanked and that we've lost um, that it's quite embarrassing. Um, I should have thanked Greg Stafford more often, more than I, I I should have thanked Greg Stafford um, before before I found it myself signing the uh, the commemoration book at his at his uh, at his at his funeral well not funeral commemoration ceremony. Mm. I should but. Um, Steve Perrin went recently, and if you want to thank somebody, his uh, there's he was running a uh, a GoFundMe for his wife's care before just before he died. And I think if you played RuneQuest and enjoyed it, or BRB or Call of Cthulhu, or, or any of the vast number of D100 games that have come after him, um, then you might well uh, want to make a small donation towards her future care. And I would like to thank Lee Gold for having hmm. um, published my witterings in, in the excellent Alarms uh, and Excursions and, and done the same for so many people over the years. She gets a met- mention in this book as well. Yeah, so, she, she's a good thing. Hello, good thing, um, if you're listening. <laughs> so that and is, thank you, Roger. Uh, oh, thank you. That is RPG per mm, 80 seconds or so. <laughs> Oh, we're, we're, we're getting closer to the that. minute. <laughs> okay. That has been us wittering on for immense length. Um, if you want to witter on at us about any of the things we have raised... Uh, leave a message on the website or email podcast at tekelly.ly. And we'll be back in the uh, gathering shadows of autumn um, in about a month's time. Post-equinoctial. <laughs>